G'day everyone and welcome to A Place to Call Home podcast. I'm your host Sam Fryer and I really hope you enjoy this episode. On today's episode I did things a little bit differently and I sat down with a good sat down with a good mate of mine uh, Luke Chaplin um, and we actually went to the Quamby pub for a bit of a visit and a bit of a yarn. For those of you who don't know Luke he is the founder of Sky Kelpie, which is the world leader in drone mustering and aerial stockmanship. And I brought him on board because I wanted to pick his brains about the different way that drones can help you, the next generation of landowners, and the way that they can also help us in how to run our businesses and also what the future details for them, because I know there's some exciting stuff coming up. Um, look, just a bit of pre-warning. We did record this at Quamby, like I said. And you will hear a few trucks going by, waiters coming, going, and uh, yeah, a bit of background noise. But um, I hope you do enjoy it. It's a bit of a different format. I tried to be a bit more laid back with this one and see how people liked it. And uh, yeah, so I hope you enjoy the episode and let us know what you think. Before we do kick off, I do want to say a massive thank you to this week's sponsor, which is Sky Kelpie. Luke has jumped on board and supported the podcast. And like I said, Sky Kelpie is the world leader in drone mustering and aerial stockmanship. Um, he's been conducting some groundbreaking trials right across Australia. And he's also a Nuffield Scholar and has been backed by MLA, a lot of MLA funding to help do a lot of programs and workshops and stuff throughout the country. So if you get the chance, make sure you go to one of these workshops that schools that Luke is involved in, that Sky Kelpie is running. And uh, yeah, even reach out and get in contact with him. Anyway, enjoy the episode and uh, cheers. G'day everybody, my name's Luke Chaplin and I am the guest on today's podcast. Is it today? It's this evening because we are actually coming to you from Quamby Pub, our spiritual <laughs> homeland. Thank you, Sam, for having me. How are you? <laughs> Thank you, Luke. Thank you very much for that introduction. How's your Quamby Lager? They actually do a they actually do a Quamby Lager here. This is good. This is I actually quite enjoy this. It's lovely. It's great to be back. It's uh, definitely had some reminiscing. And um, I just want to remind you that I'm the host. You are the guest. I'm sorry. I'm going to pitch. I'll let you take over. (laughs) And we've just got a truck driving past, if you can hear that. No. It's actually giving uh, giving memories of Brian John Shepard coming past. He'll hate this, but he probably doesn't listen to to podcasts. Coming through in his, what was it, like his old cruiser and just like honking the, the horn. He had the old Ford. He, he was like the old... Oh, well, he did no, have he his was, old cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I just remember... No, I think it was his old cruiser that he used to take rodeoing. Yeah. And he ended up selling it, which he probably wasn't too happy about. But he just came... Oh, he had something happening with the exhaust. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what people do with their exhaust to make them loud. What do they do? Do they cut them short a bit? Or I don't know. wider or something? He loved that cruiser. And it was a moment. So that was Quamby. So that was Quamby before what Quamby is now. Anyway, big shout out to Quamby. <laughs> Yes, we're coming from the Quamby Pub, the newly renovated Quamby Pub. We're having Luke and I are having some reminiscing times from back in the day when we did kick around this area. We're doing stuff a bit differently today on today's episode. We thought we'd do a bit of a layback pub style chat with a couple of mates. And Luke, I appreciate you jumping on board. I do, um, and we've been having some good reminiscing. And I suppose before we get too far in, and no one knows who the hell I'm talking to, Luke. Give yourself an introduction. Who are you? Where are you from? And what are you doing? Well, I'm going to give my introduction into the context of you, Sam Fryer, <laughs> the host. 
I mean, I am from this area. I am, I am from 30 kilometers away from Quamby Pub, um, uh, from Malakoff Station. But after, after going to boarding school in Brisbane, um, I thought it'd be a good idea to go and work on a, on a bigger property um, in sort of the lower gulf of Carpentaria. I arrived at Boomer Station and the young Sam Fry, all jacked up and energetic. Um, well, actually, we, we linked up first at the Julia Creek Dirt and Dust. Yeah. And we'd probably met over the years or whatever, but you just like came up to me. I was with Alex McCauley. You just came straight up to me and just like, oh, hey, Luke. Yeah, good. Are you, are you having a beer? What are you doing? Like, it was just like, it was pretty instant anyway. And so then when I got to Boomer, it was just like, you were just like showing me around. Like, we we're just like, this is... I was like your new little like pet, like <laughs> which turned like bestie quite quickly, and we were a bit of a force to be reckoned with in the Gulf, weren't we? Um, camp drafts, rodeos, working together, and hopefully Fred and Carm will listen to this. Um, I think we were helpful at Boomer. Like I think we helped get the cattle in the yards and process them. But geez, we had a lot of fun. You'd just done one year there. And then I came and, and then we and did, a, did a couple of years. Um, and God, within that time, you met your now wife, beautiful wife. Um, you know, we did a lot of, we did, we did a lot. A lot happened. And, and here we are. I like it. That was, that was a very good introduction. I think it's always scary. Um, obviously, starting a podcast, you rely a lot on friends to come in. And it's sometimes a dangerous thing. And I think beer... And friends on a podcast is a I dangerous tell, combo. I, I can go into some pretty... <laughs> Just remember, I can edit it out. <laughs> pretty sure. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I can go into some shocking stories. But um, look, you've always been a goer and it's great to see what you're doing. You're very busy. I don't know how you're doing all that you're doing with three children. Um, I think this is good, this particular episode. But it's getting a little bit of an insight into you. By the way, everybody, I was Sam's best man at his wedding. I mean, obviously, I'm ideal candidate the best man uh yeah yeah did a very good speech um fantastic wedding and we bloody we were pretty crook the next day but um yeah it's really great to see what you're doing especially with three children because honestly i've got like i've got nine nephews and nieces but i get to hand them back (laughs) but i am exhausted for like a week after it so well done what you're doing and well done with the podcast i'm I'm married to keeper mate i think uh, i I i've said this before somewhere it's always it's always your rowing buddy in life's journey, and I've married a pretty amazing woman in Emily, and she's um, the reason why I can do all these things. But look, this isn't about me. This okay, is about right. you, so yeah, don't try and get out of it. But yeah. look, Luke, I wanted to get you on because you have an amazing story, and, and also you are an expert in a field that I'm going to terrorize you a bit later in. But at the moment, I wanted to chat initially on, I suppose, what made you want to come back to land you are so tired you you love the country i know everything you do you've had a very diverse career i would say you've done so many different things but what made you come back to land in agriculture in australia so i guess you know uh my siblings and i i've got three sisters um we're probably lucky in the fact that our parents um always supported us doing what we're really passionate in and then if you, you know, if you really follow something, you know, that you're really passionate in, you're going to um, you know, really dedicated to the craft and be good at it. In terms of what keeps bringing me back, because I sort of, you know, the different things I've done has, you know, pulled me away from the family enterprise. Um, I think it's honestly, it's a bit of a feeling. I think when you're out there, whether it's the, you know, middle of the bloody hot sun, 
um, or whether it's the end of the day, probably the favorite part when you're cracking a 4X, you, like you really do feel like you're part of like quintessential Australia. Yeah. And like that's the type of feeling that the famous poets of this nation have like wrote about and have become like entrenched into our culture and society. So I don't know. It's a really great, it's a really great feeling, but you can get that if you're just, you know, working for a company or if you are, uh, you know, trucking cattle from A to B, like you don't have to be, you know, born into some sort of dynasty. Like you can come out. There are opportunities, opportunities are endless in rural Australia and be a part of that feeling. So look, I'll, I'll, I will build you up here because I don't think many people do know some of your amazing accomplishments that you have done. Um, you are a very successful rodeo bronc and bareback rider, I would say. You, you, you've competed internationally. Um, you actually have a very cool production studio, Quamby Studios, which is another arm. You have done a bit of acting. You have done a bit of producing. And you actually are a ag tech entrepreneur. How, like, how diverse is that of a range of things? And, and I suppose, do you just see an opportunity and do you go for it? Or is it something that sparks your interest? Or, or, or what is, what is this? What, what led you down all these different paths? Yeah. Well, I think, I think part of me is like opportunistic and I see opportunities and I run at them. But I also, it has, I have had quite a long history of these interests. If you go back to school, boarding school, went to boarding school in Brisbane. And the, the subjects that I did were pretty kind of like all over the shop and diverse. I would finish up agricultural science and we'd be practicing showing cattle and whatnot and walk up the hill into drama class, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so I've sort of from quite a young age um, had a bit of a bug for these different interests, which I'm really lucky and proud of to be um, pursuing. Um I guess in a sort of a funny way, they have started to intertwine a little bit. Um, you know, the production that um, my sister and I wrote and produced last year about the Cloncurry bank robberies, true story. <laughs> I have no idea who was actually involved in them, but that was back in the 30s. Um, and it's sort of that it, it's merging like rural and remote Australia into, into the creative industries. Um, you know, I think like working at Boomer was really the foundation for my sort of adulthood, um, but also gave me a really great taste into into agriculture and how how cool the livestock industry is and how how many different layers there are. Um, and I guess I, you know, a friend and I, um, we were down at Marcus Oldham. I, I studied there in 2017, and we're a bit bored in a lecture. And we were, we were sort of daydreaming about, you know, these new drones that were coming on the market and how they could be useful for a bit of livestock mustering. So we're in, we're in China for a study trip, actually, and I bought, like, this cheap, like, red drone that did backflips. And it's, like, definitely, I have no idea where it is. It's, like, in the wiener <laughs> paddock at home or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I sort of, I, I was pretty clear about wanting to really trial that and actually work out if it worked. And we did some trials with MLA and DAF, which, uh, which I was really grateful for. And, and, you know, it really does work. There are some barriers um, in terms of the technology and the regulations, um, but they are, they are achievable to overcome. And I think that the, the future is pretty exciting when it comes to unmanned aerial vehicles, another, just another word for drones. I think I'm going to take it back 
a little bit, yeah. especially talking about Crombie Studios. Oh, yeah. I think it's so cool that I suppose these days we've kind of accepted that we need to bring outside industries back in agriculture. And I, and I see what you've done as <laughs> it's, it's pretty awkward essential what's going on right now. Like you haven't taken the path and I would say like the path to like worked on a station manager or something like that. But you were making such a difference in the industry in rural Australia through, you know, with Corby Studios, with what you're doing with Sky Kelpie. But how much has, I suppose, have you seen that change and be accepted? Because a lot of it, you've kind of been on the forefront of that. Like, I don't, I'm not that well versed in the history of filmmaking in Australia, but is what you've done, the short film, one of the first ones to be out here promoting Cloncurry, like something like that? Like what... And I suppose, what type of challenges did you see, and how much did that benefit the area? Oh gosh, yeah. Well, there's a few. There's a few. Um, that's a multi-layered question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I did. Like in terms of just quickly before I forget the different layers, uh, the challenges. You know, filming in rural and remote Australia are logistics, and the cost. It was almost a third of the budget to basically just get. And we tried to get as many locals yeah. um, um, involved as possible because that's what we're all about. But getting those specialised film cast and crew out here probably almost ate up a third of our budget. Um, so that was probably one of the big hurdles. But once you're out here, gee whiz, it's worth it because yep. the landscape is so cinematic and amazing. And, I mean, there is a proven track record for rural filmmaking. Crocodile Dundee, I believe, is still the highest grossing Australian film ever. Um, and I know for a fact that I think some friends of friends were like investors in that and they were basically set up for life. <laughs> so, you know, if the, anyone out there wants to invest in film, you can have an early retirement, just get on to me. And how um, has that brought back into agriculture what you're doing, like that promoting? How, how have your skills that you've learned coming back into ag, looking at a totally different industry? Yeah, so um, I think like what Quamby Studios really wants to do, I don't know if it's like specific to agriculture, but I think there are just some really amazing tales. I mean, it is pretty related to agriculture, actually, because I have, a, I have something that I'm, well, it's something that I'm working on at the moment. It's very directly related to it, actually, which is a very famous tale that hasn't really been told on screen. Anyway, no, I can't, <laughs> I won't talk about it right now. But we'll when, when, you, next when you invite me back on, we'll talk about it. Um, I think it is, yeah, it's, pro it's promoting it. And, I mean, we see, like, a labour shortage in Australia at the moment. We need more young people to come into the industry. Mm. If we can possibly display that on, on screen of how cool it can be to live in rural, rural and remote Australia, then hopefully that can help. But, you know, there, there is a hunger. There is an audience for these tales out in the bush. And that's what we want to do at Quamby Studios is bring, bring them to the screen. That's cool. I want to broach on the reason why I actually got you to come on the podcast initially. Um, I know we could just go on so many different tangents because you have an amazing story to create. I, I love it. And it fascinates me. And honestly, it's, I, I really am so impressed with what you've done. But the reason why I wanted to get you on board is to talk about Sky Kelpie. Now, you touched on it initially that you, you, know, you went, on, went to China on overseas trip with Marcus and he came back with a drone. And... What was is that the basis of where Sky Kelpie came from? Those initial conversations. Yeah, so I guess I was back up here. Um, I came back up here um, after finishing at Marcus. 
Um, and I was I was playing around with with drones a little bit, of, you know, um, sort of more of those early stage sort of technology, um, playing with the DJIs. And I, you actually, I was on the way to Townsville, and you told me I was to, I was obviously always talking to you about the drones, and you were like, oh, have you heard about this new um, sort of uh, organisation program called Farmers to Founders? So I applied for Farmers to Founders, got into the Ideas program and really started to flesh it out and really started to work out, all right, what is viable? What is the business model? What even is this solution, to be honest? Um, and then, you know, really came to the point of going, all right, as I said earlier, I really wanted to prove, does this work? Mm. Is this another form of pressure, just like a motorbike, just like a helicopter, just like someone on a horse? And when you approach the drone towards the livestock, will they move off it? And will they head towards the sanctuary, the water, where you really want them to go. So that's what we did last year in 2022 with MLA and DAF. Um, I think the report is going to be live on MLA's website quite soon. And we're really pleased with the results. Now, as I said, there are some barriers to overcome. Um, one of the major ones are regulations. At the moment, we actually can't fly beyond visual line of sight. So we can't fly the drone beyond visual line of sight. Uh, without really specialised um, approvals, land approvals. The licensing, so the regulator, the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, CASA, they actually have come back a little bit on the licensing requirements. Mm. So we're starting to see progression, and I think we're going to start to see even more. Now, we're going to go into some more proposed work with, um, with some partners um, that, are, that are pretty great at uh, you know, regulation reform, and we see it as re- quite low-hanging fruit. Now, at the moment, we're seeing, like, drone delivery in, like, urban areas where, like, fixed-wing drones are, like, dropping bunning sausages to people, you know, mm. or, like, Amazon deliveries. And with that, you're, like, flying the drone over people, over roads, like, all these things that are pretty, like, uh, quote-unquote high risk. Now, when we come to rural Australia and the regulator looks at the area and go, okay, goes, what is the air risk and the ground risk? And for mustering operations and other use cases for drones on farm and properties, it's really low risk to do it. So we actually think that we'll hopefully be successful in some exemptions that will eventually get written into regulation. So that's some work that we're going to be doing in the next 12 months. So that's the regulations, and then the technology needs to improve a little bit. there's amazing technology coming out of you know Asia in terms of thermal cameras, zoom cameras, great enabling software like dropping waypoints and communicating with on the ground staff, you know, uh, or you know really cool stuff. And just the hardware itself, the airframes are really reliable. They will, um, uh, you know, not a whole lot of maintenance required. Um, uh, you know, the list goes on. It's really it's really great off the shelf technology. It's going to get better. We just need the battery life to get a little bit better and the, the, the transmission range, um, which is a radio frequency at the moment, but we can bring in cellular coverage and different things. Um, I think it's going to be a really great uh, intersection. Is that what we call it? They're going to meet yeah. really well the, where the regulations come. In the come. near future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon pretty soon. Uh, the reg- when the regulations are sort of come to the table, the technology will be there, and we're going to pretty we're going to see some, hopefully, uh, widespread adoption. 
This episode of A Place to Call Home podcast is brought to you by Sky Kelpie. Sky Kelpie is the world leader in drone mustering and aerial stockmanship. Their groundbreaking trials have proven that drones are extremely powerful tools for mustering livestock. Sky Kelpie is building a range of training products that will help livestock handlers unlock the numerous benefits of this technology that has an offer. They've done a range of drones that suit a variety of operations, so talk to the team about finding the right one for you, or go to their website at www.skykelpie.com. So, I suppose the reason why like, you are my resident drone expert, I would say. Mm. So, going back to some of the use cases of like people just starting out in agriculture, you know, they're starting to look for land, and I, and I see personally, like I've got one at home that I use to check waters and stuff like that. What are some of the use cases that you're seeing people using their drones for? Yep. So most of the you know research and development I have done is around mustering. And mm-hmm. within the mustering, it is putting it up, finding the livestock, finding them with thermal cameras and zoom cameras is really awesome. That's cool. yep. um, and then moving the livestock as well. But we're starting to look at alternative use cases and we're still starting to trial that as well. And we've done some work with bird scaring um, off a, it was off Crops. a sorghum, off a sorghum yeah. crop. Um, so I, I can't remember sort of the rough percentage of our sort of project partner with that, that, that their losses are. Um, but, you know, the birds, um, the, I think there were corellas and maybe some galahs and whatnot, landing on the head of the sorghum and just like breaking it. Uh, but also they were picking at it as well, like over 10% loss in that crop. And when you look at that and do yeah. the economics, it's pretty big. Um, the feedback we got there was it was just as useful as a helicopter, which is used yep. for scaring them a little bit. But you've obviously, it's obviously a lot cheaper. And, you know, if you've got a drone on site, it's a lot more flexible um, and you can do a lot more hours. So um, bird scaring is a great one. I think surveillance and we'd probably go to different types of drones. Um, the VTOL, which is an acronym for Vertical Takeoff and Landing. Basically, it's a fixed-wing drone, just like a fixed-wing plane. So a fixed-wing drone that's got some propellers so it can just land and, and take off from a standing standing point. Um, I think it's going to be really great for asset and water surveillance. I think one of our most precious assets is water, mm-hmm. I guess, on livestock operations anyway. Definitely. Um, and I think, you know, there's some really amazing remote monitoring technology out there um, I do think that you know your average grazier does love to just get some eyes on their on, on, on what's the cows, happening yeah. yeah especially if they have maybe a, a block of land that they're not living at um, uh, you know there's mapping weed mapping maybe getting some feed budgets and biomass calculations I think like while the drones are up there all the different you know data yeah we can we can collect um, and process that the better um, but, you know, I think into the future, you know, I get asked, like, what's the future? But, like, I think it's probably just drones just staying up there all day. <laughs> you know, like, I think at some stage, like, this phone that I'm holding right now is just never going to run out of battery. Yeah. You know, the way, it, like, all the battery technology and whatever, it's, it'll have, I mean, don't ask me about the technology involved. But I think batteries are just not, one not day, right. not going to need to be recharged. And so, I mean, the drones will probably have to come down for some, you know, maintenance and whatnot, but... Yeah, we'll just have them flying up there. And do you do you think so? Back to like use the use case stuff that people are using. Like to me personally, I've got one, 
Yeah. Um, it's just a basic, <laughs> should nearly get DJI to sponsor this, but it's the DJI Maverick Zoom, whatever it is. But yeah. I find it bloody helpful for things to like, I've got a couple of floodgates I check and they're about a couple of K away from the house. I can get there, check that floodgate and yeah. come home without wrecking a $15,000 buggy or four-wheeler. That's what used to happen. We'd do the run, wreck the boots. Now I do that with my drone when, when the wet season's on. And in terms of mobs and stuff, this is probably where I was going to pick your brain a bit is, is in terms of mustering, I've found I've just with the basic setup like that I've got, I can muster in like the 10, you know, 30 head of wieners and stuff I've mucked around with. But I've seen you at Mudderborough Sheep Show mustering a decent sized bomber sheep and you had a speaker and everything going, like even actual movement. Do they, and they do work off a drone just as well as I suppose like a helicopter? Like how, how are you finding that actual movement off the animals? Yeah, well, thank you to Hugh Button for uh, setting me up at <laughs> The Mudabara. shout outs everywhere this, this episode. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just like let some sheep loose who had never seen dog or and gyrocopter, helicopter before or whatever. And so, but we had a bit of luck, didn't we? We got him in the yard. Um, yeah, look, as I, as I said earlier, it's just another form of pressure. I mean, I think like aerial mustering has revolutionized the livestock industry. Mm. We, so, some people, uh, I, like I won't, um, I, I, I'm, I don't think I'm probably, you know, experienced enough to really stand by this, but some people have said that without aerial livestock mustering, the, the livestock industry could possibly fall over because of how effective it is and how much we now rely on it. So to have a bird's eye view, um, the, the efficiency of it, of helicopters, is amazing. And we've seen that since the, I think, back to the 70s or following the Vietnam War when we had a lot of helicopter pilots come back um, from the war. Um, drones are just reimagining that. Um, we get a really good bird's eye view and the drones make noise. We can put a speaker on them and I've got a helicopter noise, I've got dogs barking, people yelling, my voice, and I've got slim dusty woo bullock woo <laughs> it's usually my uh, party trick at conferences and whatnot um but it, it it really is effective and so i work with some you know livestock specialists um that are a little bit more experienced than me but we're yeah we're doing a lot of work around that you know as it as a form of pressure applying the pressure but making sure we release pressure at the right time when the animals are doing what we want them to do to keep them light and responsive so I guess we could start to bring that in in the early education weaning stage. Yep. And then the animals can start to associate the drone with getting moved, but in a calm, responsive manner. Um, you know, we're really keen to keep doing, you know, more research and development. And we're going to we're going to bring out a, you know, an aerial you know, drone stockmanship course, you know, just from what we've been doing. Um, but just, yeah, you know, where is you know the the right places where to put the drone um and just some sort of tips and tricks about what we're doing but honestly i'll like the old man you know he'll just like panic and like let the lead go and he'll be like everyone come back to the tail i'll be like sneakily like up there and just have the drone come into the lead and steady, steady them up yeah and really effective and what's really cool is i will have the drone so far away but with that zoom camera I can find out when that very lead animal is starting to react to it. Yeah. So I am not, I'm making sure I'm not going to turn the mob back on them and then the old man's going to get really angry. <laughs> but really awesome. And that goes the same for that zoom camera for starting animals. If you're wanting to start your animals, if you're wanting to, them to stay mothered up or, or if you're just wanting your animals to move off, you know, quite calmly, 
you can zoom in and you'll always see that first lead animal, you know, start to move and then come your sort of middle and, and then your tail. Like, instead of, you know, I guess other methods, you know, and I'm not here to bash helicopters, <laughs> but it's a whole heap of pressure. Yeah. And I guess by the time that you are sort of seeing them with your eyes as a pilot, those animals are pr- probably well on their way. But but I just want a disclaimer. There's a lot of you know amazing helicopter pilots and a lot of great work done by helicopters. I suppose and I understand where you're coming from. They're not wanting to bash the helicopters, and I'm not bashing them either. We we use we have to use helicopters on where we have a cattle on adjustment. But what I'm seeing, and you touched on it earlier, is I suppose it's a low entry point for people you know like I bought my drone for around two grand and that was a couple of years ago and it's probably paid itself off tenfold I think the amount of work I've done and the cost it's saved and I don't have budget figures but I know I'm That's not like re- four or five hours yeah uh, helicopter high yeah and, and even like the checking the water checking the floodgates to not rip off my boots of my old buggy and stuff like that you know what I mean like that's where I'm saving the money too I'm looking at checking fences checking and I know this will come in a bit of regulations. I don't know how hot water I get in, but I've sent it and checked for boundary fences during floods or during wet, wet, wet season so that I didn't have to go out there. And and what I'm, I suppose I'm saying is that I think they've got a part to play in helping young people when we don't have as much cash starting out and we're looking at ways, I suppose, to save money and do a bit more on our own. And I suppose my question to you is... Coming into it and just kicking off, what are some of the entry-level drones or something that someone could do work with that you were seeing that, I suppose, are good enough that you, you know, you're actually going to make make it work, but like not actually cheap enough that you leave it in a wiener paddock? Like yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just quickly, I think that the point that you make and you know checking boundary faces and whatnot gives a really good incentive for the regulator to come yeah. to the table because we have a lot of graziers such as yourself possibly been non-compliant <laughs> but we're not asking for too much yeah and so if they can come to the table with what we're going to be proposing to them everyone can be compliant and it's actually going to make the industry safer yeah so that's just my point there in terms of entry-level drones you can actually get drones i mean because well yours your zoom or your mini was between two one and two grand it was about yeah two grand. i think it's 15 but 1500 bucks and i got a box and stuff yeah like and as well. you said you know dj definitely should be sponsoring this episode <laughs> and i do have some contacts or maybe one of their uh, distributors could maybe come on board for this because <laughs> they're good um they are dji look the L- let's just say it how it is dji are the best drones in the world for like consumer off-the-shelf technology as well as the enterprise drones um, they're reliable, they're affordable. You know, they've got 80% of the world market share. With that comes a lot of power in manufacturing. And so then that's going to make it more affordable. Uh, they are really great. And so that would be probably what I would recommend is something about what you got, one of the, the Zoom or the Minis um, for that sort of between one and two grand. If you go smaller than that, you can, you will be restricted a little bit by even just a strong breeze yeah, or okay. wind. Yep. That's about it, really, because their video rev- resolution is quite amazing. And you actually will move livestock <laughs> with something so small. <laughs> I mean, it's enough. Like, those, you know, depends. I mean, unless, you know, it's your potties and they're, like, super quiet. <laughs> um, but that's a pretty good entry level. I think, like, what I recommend with sort of some of my clients that come to me is probably more the Mavic 3 Classic, which is sort of that 
three to four grand. It's a little bit bigger and sturdier. Um, and, and you know, you've got some really great video rev resolution and whatnot. Um, I get a lot of people coming to me really, really excited and interested in the thermal camera. Yep. Um, the thermal camera is just, it really is a game changer in terms of finding your livestock. Um, you know, a thermal camera picks up the heat signature of an animal. And, you know, if you've got a little bit of scrubby country, a little bit of, you know, or if they're just blending into the grass, I don't know. <laughs> um, it's really effective. So um, that's been really cool to see people have a lot of success with that. Um, but as you said, you know, it is a, it is a pretty good entry-level way to be able to do aerial stockmanship um, and to have it at your hands and, and the flexibility of operations as well, having a drone. And these alternative use cases, as you mentioned, is really great. And I didn't even mention spraying as well. They are different drones to sort of what we're using yep. for mustering. But, I mean, I think that technology is even going to get better and better. You know, they're doing precision sort of spot spraying now with drones. Um, but there's, you know, there's a spreader application. We could do it a bit of grasslands. We could go out and do a bit, go yep. and do a few bloody um, bit prickly cash on that right now. Um, but I think the, the, the use cases and what I'm really interested for my clients is going, okay, really great that you're buying this for mustering, but guess what? You can also do, do this things. and that as well. So, yeah. So... Touching on your clients, what services do Sky Kelpie do? Like, what what are some of the things that you are working? With oh, your thank you, with? God. I think I should be sponsoring this uh, <laughs> podcast. But lucky well, you are. Lucky we're good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Um, so at the moment, I'm I'm just a distributor yep. of, of drones, and I sort of talk to clients and work out what the best fit is for their uh, operation. But I'm like I'm still early days. I guess, as I said earlier, what I really wanted to do. Is, is proof, does this solution work? Is this a viable application? Yeah. And I guess I've been very lucky and, you know, getting a bit of attention in that research. Yeah. But um, do I have much of really an offering? Not really. But what we're doing at the moment is building a range of, you know, online training tools and yeah. products that'll really allow, you know, the, the livestock operator themselves to operate that drone and reap the benefits. Luke? What's some of the ex things that excite you that are coming up in the drone space? Yeah, really great question. And, and I can answer that quite quickly because something that's really coming onto the market, they've been sort of promoting it for a while, but there's, yeah, they're, they're like landing in Australia and starting to be adopted by industries are the drone in the box solution. Yeah. And that is where a drone will basically live in this like weatherproof, you know, internet connected, uh, you know, connected to power sort of like box um, and it'll get, uh, you know, maintenance done to it. It'll charge um, all the, you know, data, you know, video feed, whatever will be uploaded in it. And you'll just live in this cool little box cocoon and you can automate for it to do little missions for it to go and, you know, check your waters or, um, you know, go and do a mapping mission um, yeah. or go and do, um, some autonomous mustering. No, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> and maybe that is something that Sky Kelpie may start to look at in the future is, yeah. you know, prototyping some autonomy of mustering. So there you go. That's a bit of a... That's exciting. Um, but these little, these boxes are great. Like, for example, we have a block south of Julia Creek and no one lives there. 
Yeah. And so how cool for it to go up maybe, uh, oh, maybe every day or every couple of days and go and check the waters. But while it's up there, is it getting a bit of a feed budget? Is it looking yeah. at your cattle? Is it doing a count on them? Yeah. Is it maybe getting their body condition score? I don't know. That's all into the future and that's not really available right now. But I think that really gives like a, yeah, a, a new, you know, idea of autonomy um, um, that is actually possible right now. So in terms of autonomous mustering, that's into the future algorithms and machine learning and whatnot needs to get developed that I'm not an expert in, but I'm keen to work yeah, with yeah. it. Um, but these, yeah, the, these drone in the box solutions are, are pretty cool um, and they're, they're coming onto the market now. Yeah. yeah. Geez, that's exciting. Yeah. I, mean, I think um, whenever I hear someone talk about something like that, I'm always, even now, I was like, how good would that be having it on my Jisper block and just being like, you know, while I'm up here, I know I can have cameras on waters and stuff, but actually being like, oh, drone, count my cows. <laughs> yeah. And then what I will say is regulations. I'm, I keep coming yeah, back to yeah, regulations, yes, yeah. don't I? But, um, you know, to have it do that autonomously with no one there, is actually not possible right now. Yet. But what is possible and what's pretty cool is you, from your place, could launch that. This can happen right now. You can launch it from your, you know, you have a little setup and yeah. it's got to be kind of CASA approved. You've got to have a couple of different monitors and you've got to have this and that, whatever. Uh, you know, w monitoring weather, different things. But it's called remote BVLOS operations. And Hover UAV, a really cool company that I work with, are sort of on the forefront for this and... I'll be working with Jackie at Hover UAV for the regulation progression, yep. so they're really great. But um, you can basically wake up and launch that drone from that box, and you can muster a paddock if you want. Yeah, good. Uh, or you can go check your waters or whatever, and that's that. That is possible now. So for that to be automated, that's probably in a few years. Yeah. Um, but for you to be controlling it from a remote location, that's possible now. Now we need to get you some licenses. And yeah. We yeah. need to go through a few things and whatever. But, yeah, not impossible. But is it something like, going on a bit of a tangent here, but is it something like for people that do have adjustment on a lot of different places, is it something that they could kind of have one of these drone-in-a-box things yeah. on all those places? Like, And, and you know, because the amount of money you spend on fuel, the amount of money you spend on travel just going up there, yeah, just a time also, of work. But just the to go, money that you have yes, invested yeah, into those livestock. livestock. Yeah. They're pretty precious assets, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. But another precious asset is having water for them. Yeah, yeah. You know, or, or the different factors. Um, you'll probably get to see um, a dingo that's caught in the exclusion yeah, yeah. fencing. You yeah, know, if so talking, many possibilities. Um, you'll be able to, you know, check out where the pigs are, check out all sorts of different things. So that's really cool. That's, yeah, that's exciting. That's, um, so think, we're just getting, we're just starting to get like what the pricing is and... Yep. In what insulation requirements are and whatnot. So it's all pretty early days for that. But I am going to, um, I'll keep you updated. I am going to this like epic, huge drone conference in Vegas um, in early September as part of my Nuffield travels, yep. Nuffield scholarship travels. Um, and I'm just super excited to see sort of what emerging technology is coming. Um, and I'll be just like strike it. I'll just be like, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. <laughs> Do you know about... Sky Kelp. Do you know about agriculture? <laughs> no, I think it, I think it's great, and, and and my goal, I suppose, with the podcast is like, um, hopefully, if it continues, I like get enough people listening. Is I want to be able yeah, to you keep got lots of listeners already. <laughs> I want to keep bringing in people like you that are an expert in this field that I see could benefit. Yeah. So to keep us updated, 
Um, so that'd be great. It might get you on back on to tell us about those things that are coming into well, our industry. And also, you know, there's a push. Like, obviously, the, the government and, and industry organisations and bodies have a vested interest in making agriculture, uh, the production of agriculture, more efficient. Yeah. And so that's why we see really cool uh, funding opportunities like in New South Wales for the, the ag, tent, ag Tech Grant Scheme. I probably haven't yeah. given it its real official name but where producers can access some funding to, for their pick of, you know, there's a catalogue yeah. of different ag tech companies that are registered and they're like, yep, that will help me with my operation <laughs> or whatnot. So, like, there are, you know, for your listeners and maybe you have, like, a, you probably already do, have, like, a resident grant writer or, like, yeah, well, that's what you need to do. I need a resident Have, like, grant. a resident grant person because there are funding out there. And you know what? To your listeners... Don't feel bad about getting grants because you know what? Australia is one of the least subsidized agricultural industries yeah, in the world. True. Like America's got like insurance. <laughs> like if you have like a bad year, like come on. Yeah, I so we... like if you can get a little bit of help from the government that is actually going to make them more money because you making more money makes them more tax dollars. Yeah. So get the grants. Quambi. So... Go out and get those grants and, you know, make your enterprise more efficient. Luke, moving on. I always ask a couple, a couple of questions for our guests at the end of the episode, and I've got a couple for you. What would be, who, I suppose, who would be a mentor that's kind of helped you throughout your journey in agriculture or life? Yeah, really great question. I mean, it, it can go back to, you know, Fred Shepard um, back at Boomerah. Um, who was just instrumental as a livestock, um, you know, handler himself, but also as a person. And then, you know, maybe more recently it would be Tim McGrath. Yeah. Um, he's from Cairns, so not Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw. I, I'd, I'd have Tim McGraw as a mentor. <laughs> I don't really know what for, but anyway. Oh, he's a good actor and probably a bit of a filmmaker. No, so Tim McGrath, um, he's based out of Cairns, but he's lived all over Queensland, and he would be one of the best... Uh, um, livestock experts actually in the world because I've been to America and Canada um, and I have, you know, worked at, you know, different livestock yep. operations over there. And like as a whole, I don't want to throw a blanket over like whole sort of countries and industries, but they're not on par with Australia. I think the best livestock men and women um, in the world are in Australia. And I actually think they're possibly even in Queensland. So, I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I, like I am that. a Queenslander. <laughs> no, I am a Queenslander, but I think that's where they are. But I know you have a national and international audience, so actually maybe edit this out. No, we'll leave that in. I'm okay, sure. whatever. Well, but Tim is part of that. And so he works with, obviously, you know Jim Lindsay quite yep. well. So he works with the low, uh, LSS. Low stress stock handling. Low stress stock handling. Um, and I really like their methodology. Um, and Tim's not pushy either. He's sort of one of those educators that he will give, you know, what he teaches um, but then he's open to you just like adapting um, what works for you and your operation. And then I have another friend and, and she's a friend, but she's from Brisbane and she's only a new friend of like two or three years, but her name's Sarah Darden and she just has given me some really epic, like simple advice recently that has actually changed the whole, uh, the whole um, scope and direction of Sky Kelpie. And so I just needed to give her a, a quick the mention. Business. Yeah, Sarah Darden. Yeah, in terms of, yeah, Sarah, she's a, like this absolute weapon in Brisbane. She's got a, a marketing business and um, she's part of a 
um, tech startup yep. um, and all this other really cool stuff that I'm forgetting. <laughs> um, but she's great as well. Whenever I have a question, I'll, I'll ring Sarah. Yeah. Lastly, Luke, as that's the belt for the, and the order of food, <laughs> what is the one piece of advice that you'd like to give someone, whether that be on their journey in agriculture or in life in general, as a young person listening to this podcast? Well, what I used to um, tell young people coming through rodeo, I guess, so when I was rodeoing, and I think that this is applicable to everything in life, is if you really want to be good at something, if you want to be successful, the only way that that will not happen is if you give up. Yeah. So it might take you six months, or it might actually take you a decade to really hone your craft and become amazing at it but if you persist if you keep at it i promise you it will happen and you know you can compare yourself to others you can compare yourself to friends to people on instagram or whatever and i'll look at them they like it just happened so quickly for them that's their journey and i mean i'm sure they're struggling with a whole lot of different things that they're not putting on instagram (laughs) but that's them you've got to look at yourself and what's working for you and your timeline is a completely different to everyone else 100 percent agree luke look thank you very much for jumping on board um not gonna lie i was quite nervous having you on for <laughs> some of the stories that would come out like how good is this I know. wait until we do a live recording i know that's good you gonna... said that you were teasing on the on the car trip to Quamby. you said you want to do a live recording and i'm just going to put my hand up for that. <laughs> like, i'm just saying I like it. Thank you very much, Luke, for jumping on board, and I'll definitely get you back. No worries. I'll send you an invoice. (laughs) Cheers. G'day, everyone. I hope you liked today's episode. Um, If you did, let me know. I really like feedback, and I've tried something a little bit different with this one. I try to be a little bit more relaxed and have a bit of fun. And I want to know what you guys think. This isn't something I'm probably always going to do, but I might do it every now and then. Have an interview with mate at the pub or um, do a bit of a live presentation, as Luke did uh, mention at the end there. I'm trying to line up something. But if you did like the episode, please let us know. Leave a rating. Share it with friends and family. Um, it's the best way that we can get the word out there about what we're trying to do. And also, it keeps us going. gives us a bit of drive. Anyway, for today's quote, I want to leave you with one from Robert Kiyosaki. And he says, The single most powerful asset we all have is our mind. If it is trained well, it can create enormous wealth. Have a great day. Cheers. Cheers.